0: My name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time austerity and the Manchester Arena attack. We'll be hearing from John Cooper, the barrister who represented John Atkinson, who died after being let down by the emergency services in the aftermath of the bomb blast in May 2017. John, a care worker, died after waiting an hour and 16 minutes for treatment for a severe leg injury and a heart attack. Sir John Saunders, the retired High Court judge leading the inquiry into the bombing, said that it was highly likely that John would have survived with prompt intervention. He also had some sharp things to say about austerity and cuts to policing that apply across the country that haven't been widely reported elsewhere. Before that, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper edited by Hardeep Matharu, which has exclusive content that you can't read anywhere else. We don't have a billionaire backing us or some shadowy corporation. We're reliant on people like you taking outer subs and subscriptions start from as little That's £3 a month. You get more details over at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Let's hear now from John Cooper from 25 Bedford Row. He was the leading KC for 12 of the 22 bereaved families, including John Atkinson. When I spoke to him a little earlier, I asked him what picture he'd formed of Mr Atkinson based on his conversations
1: with family members. Well, the immense amount of dignity of all family members, of all the people that I dealt with, has left an indelible mark on me. I'm, in many respects, a changed person as a result of experiencing that dignity and integrity that they all represented. Uh, John was a wonderful guy. Uh, He uh, was, as you say, a care worker. had such a great future ahead of him, great family man, loved dearly by his friends and family. And as in common with uh, all those that lost their lives, a great loss to their families and their friends and to the community generally. They all had such a lot to give. And in the aftermath of
0: the bombing then, John had sustained severe leg injuries, later had a heart attack while he was waiting for the emergency services to arrive. Just tell us what emerged about his particular case.
1: Well, all this obviously came out in the public evidence and it was startling as it came out uh, as we were asking the questions. Uh, he was left, uh, as the report is found, for a period of time too long, which meant that as a result of what the report referred to as catastrophic bleeding, he effectively bled to death. During the course, and this is, as I say, all in the public evidence, during the course of him lying, stricken, in the city room where this bomb went off. Uh, He was bleeding and bleeding, uh, particularly through parts of his body, his legs in particular, causing him to weaken and weaken. And as the evidence graphically came out in front of the inquiry, he was virtually seeing himself dying and said, am I going to die? And uh, people were reassuring him he wasn't. But Very sadly, as a result of the lack of prompt attention that he received, the lack of help he got, he died. But let me say this, there was a member of the public there who was heroic, not a trained man, just an ordinary member of the public who sat with him and did his best and one of the true heroes of that particular night. But he was left to people like that, the general public, certainly in those important early moments of John's catastrophic injury, to care for him. And of course, John didn't receive the care he needed And as a result of that, the inquiry found that uh, he could have survived.
0: Yes, I believe there was an eight-year-old girl called Safi Rose Roussos who Sir John Saunders said there was a remote possibility that she might have been saved if the rescue operation had been carried out. more But in in John Atkinson's case, there seems a, a high probability that he would have survived had the emergency services arrived in time.
1: That's how the evidence came out, and that's how the chair, Sir John Saunders, found in his very lengthy and, might I say, uh, superb report. When I've read
0: some of the details of the emergency services response, I've been absolutely flabbergasted. The fire service didn't show up until more than two hours after the bombing. Only three paramedics entered the foyer of the arena what did sir john saunders give as the reasons for those delays
1: there were myriad of reasons for a complete uh, breakdown as far as that's concerned and i might add also the failures that occurred across the emergency services throughout that night the major issue to begin with was that of a lack of communication between the three services which resulted in a level of inefficiency that, as far as John's concerned, affected him, but affected all those lying in the city room. And let's not forget this, it's not just those who died, it's those who survived, but many of whom received catastrophic, life-changing injuries. The fire service were informed, like all the other emergency services promptly, that this atrocity happened. And I'd like to say this before we perhaps talk in a little more detail about this. The rank-and-file firefighters wanted to go in there wanted to go in and do their jobs and there is nothing detrimental in the report said about the rank and file of those firefighters many of whom themselves were traumatically affected as a result of them not being allowed to go in and provide care and assistance to those who were stricken in the city room manchester arena indeed there were a lot of angry firefighters on the evidence we heard as far as uh, the orders they were being given which meant that they could not go in. And many firefighters were saying that had they broken those orders, they would have lost their jobs and their livelihoods and had these dilemmas placed before them. Effectively, a decision was made by the fire service that it was not safe for firefighters to go in because there was concern of what was referred to as a marauding shooter. Someone that in there, such as happened at Bataclan in Paris a few years earlier with a shotgun, and who had not been neutralised, and there are rules and protocols whereby care has to be taken for emergency services, reasonable care. And the question there was that there was not enough information coming out of Manchester Arena at the time to say that that was not the case. There was never a marauding shooter, but because of the lack of communication, the lack of people on site the lack of people going in or going there or thereabouts, Uh, the lack of command and control, sufficient as that information would come out to make it clear that it was safe to go in, the fire services were directed to not go in. And indeed, many of them mobilised some miles away from the arena. And only when communications finally got a little better, some two hours later for the fire service, when this event was all over, was it indicated that it was safe to go in. But of course, by that time, the whole tragic consequence had finished and other emergency services were leaving and that really Adrian was the same reason why there were only uh, three paramedics who went in at the scene as well uh, there was a lack of strategic knowledge as to what was going on at the scene and there were questions about whether there should be risks taken or not risks taken with the lives of emergency service operatives and whether it was safe to go in. This is perfectly proper decision-making process the problem was the information that people needed to have to make a decision that it was safe to go in. And it probably was safe to go in at around about 10.50. The bomb went off at 10.31. So within 20 minutes, it was safe to go in. But because of a lack of communication, the fire service didn't go in for some time later. And indeed, the ambulance services were hamstrung as well, primarily involved with the communication of information with the police. So as you can see, it was a catalogue of problems and errors which caused the whole emergency service effort to a significant extent
0: blighted yes and in terms of the police inspector dale sexton was the fourth duty officer for greater manchester police his mobile phone number which was the one that the emergency services were using to contact him was also the same mobile phone number as being used by journalists seeking information on the atrocity I mean it just seems an incredibly basic thing to separate out those two numbers The British Transport Police Gold Commander was based in the south of England, didn't know the geography of the arena. The police didn't have an up-to-date plan of the arena either. And these failures in understanding the situation around the arena fed into this awful miscommunication or lack of communication for the fire and ambulance
1: services. There was an expression used in the inquiry, which summed it up, a lack of what was called situational awareness. And that lack of situational awareness meant that the emergency services hadn't a clear idea exactly what was going on at the arena. And there were mixed messages coming out, which caused confusion, which wasn't in, in many respects, the central part of the problem here. I've made a list of a number of issues that went wrong on the night and lessons that can be learned. And the top lesson for me is better communication between all services.
0: When we talk about the lessons learned, John, it's important to recognise that lessons had not been learned before the attack. Of course, an attack of this kind, by its very nature, is unpredictable. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't exactly know where terrorists will strike. But in a sophisticated country like Britain, we make every effort to anticipate what a response might look like. And there had been various exercises over the years predicting something like this so that the emergency services could plan properly.
1: Let's remind ourselves that at the time that this atrocity occurred, the 22nd of May 2017, the country was on a national state of severe alert. So when you say we couldn't have predicted, I push back a bit on that, because the nation was at a state of severe alert, which effectively meant that a terrorist attack was imminent. So the emergency services, the security services, would have been on a very high state of alert as far as this is concerned. And one can't entirely predict exactly what is going to happen certainly the country was at that state and let's also remind ourselves this was in the middle of a general election so on the top of everything else we're in the middle of a general election so one assumes that again there is a state of awareness that these are sensitive times in a country's cycle of history where again we should be aware things may or may not happen but certainly the nerve endings should be tingling now put that to one side for a moment You've then got a situation where in the two years previous to Manchester Arena, as the chair found in his report, the police had had about 100 training exercises, all designed to iron out problems and difficulties and to learn lessons from. And one particular exercise for all emergency services took place in 2016, barely a year before Manchester Arena occurred. Now when you put this together and also the other training exercises for instance that the ambulance service were having over this time, it is very disappointing indeed to put it mildly that then when you have a a real life atrocity that occurred at Manchester Arena mistakes were made and not only mistakes were made but mistakes that were made certainly in what was called Winchester Accord, the operation a year or so earlier, some of which were repeated at Manchester Arena So I have scepticism when people say we've learned lessons, because certainly lessons were there to be learned before Manchester Arena, particularly there to be learned a year or so before Manchester Arena. And many of those lessons just simply do not seem to have been learned. And so I have little confidence at the moment, despite all the fine words that are being spoken of at the moment, I have little confidence that lessons have been learned. God forbid it should be demonstrated that I'm right. Can
0: you give us any idea of the lessons that weren't learned
1: then, the lessons
0: that should have been learned, that could have been predicted from the previous exercises but were not acted upon?
1: Well, as I've indicated before, the the major thing that went wrong at Manchester Arena was lack of communication. The major thing that was flagged in the training operation a year or so before was lack of communication, breakdown of communication. I can put it no more succinctly than that. There were other issues as well. But the lack of communication between all three emergency services were graphically shown at the time. Uh, some emergency services feeling well out of the loop when things were happening, when uh, events were taking place. And this operation, I should add, uh, took place in Manchester. It wasn't an operation which occurred in, I don't know, London. This was an operation which occurred in Manchester. It was a full-effect dress rehearsal to a major extent, for Manchester Arena. And the significant thing found there was the lack and breakdown of communication. And this happened again a year later. And so, uh, again, it, it is expected that, we are, that we're going to hear from the emergency services saying lessons learned, commiseration, sadness, condolences, all well-meaning things and right-sounding words. And, and obviously, I'm sure that the, the condolences are perfectly genuine. But it's confidence not, not only on behalf of those I represented, but also on behalf of all of us and particularly those who may be attending large venues in the future, adults or children or young people, that they feel safe to go there. It, it is, okay, if it's taken the tragedy of Manchester Arena to make it safe, that is one, I suppose, legacy for those, those that died. I put it no higher than that. And what a tragedy it is, it took Manchester Arena to do that. And as you say, based on previous experience, notwithstanding
0: the apologies which have been delivered by all of the emergency services in Manchester, based on the failure to act on previous lessons, what confidence can we have that the lessons learned from this tragedy will be acted upon in future?
1: Well, I know, and I'd love to give that confidence out from you because I know what I'm saying is very worrying, but I have minimal confidence at the moment. I hope i proved wrong
0: one feature of sir john saunders report that hasn't been particularly picked up by mainstream media but which i think is hugely important is the impact of austerity the impact of police cuts on the response to this tragedy what did he have to say about that john
1: yeah, for those of your listeners who may have a copy of the report or may want to access the report, because there's quite a bit said about it and I can only give you appraisal of it, I'll, I'll refer them to paragraphs 12143 onwards, 12, onwards. I think the best thing to do is just to read just a couple of paragraphs because it's there. And Sir so John says this, the financial crisis of 2008 led to a period of economic recession in the UK in 2010, that led to the introduction of an austerity program by the Conservative and Liberal Democrat coalition government. That period is followed what is often called by the Age of Austerity. Then he goes on. Whether the age of austerity was a necessary policy and whether it was successful are issues beyond the scope of my terms of reference, and nothing in this report should be interpreted as expressing any view about those issues. And nonetheless, Austerity has been referred to by a number of Greater Manchester Police witnesses as having an impact upon the Police Service's ability to do everything that it must have recognised it was important to do. And it is therefore essential that I address the issue. And I'll just read this one further paragraph, there are other paragraphs. A number of GMP Greater Manchester Police officers gave evidence about the impact of austerity upon their work. At a corporate level, both former Chief Constable Ian Hopkins and DCC Pilling gave evidence about the level of savings that it was necessary for Greater Manchester Police to make. Between 2010 and 11 and 2017 and 18, Greater Manchester Police's income fell substantially from 632 to 545 The number of officers fell by 25% from 8,219 to 6,159. Goes on to talk about other losses and cuts, and throughout a series of paragraphs within his report, he raises the question. He says this, as a result of the reductions in central government funding, hits GMP and other metropolitan police services disproportionately hard. I do not know to what extent this was taken into account by the Home Office in the decisions it made. I recommend, says the Chair, that the Home Office consider the different arrangements for funding police services if a similar programme of budgetary cuts and austerity occurs in the future. That's important, Adrian. It's been missed by a lot, understandably so, because one's focusing upon the tragic loss of life here. But I'll just repeat that recommendation again, which seems to be missed. In the flurry of immediate immediate activity, says the chair, I recommend that the Home Office consider the different arrangements for funding police services if a similar programme of budgetary cuts and austerity occurs in the future. We well, can read between the lines there. I commend a reading of that section of the report for the full effect of what Sir John has saying.
0: But Sir John Saunders, as befits a retired High Court judge, is keen to say that he doesn't want to get involved in the politics of it. Yeah. But if you actually read the detail of the report, it is clear that police response was hindered by austerity and by cuts to officer numbers, which he says were disproportionately focused on big city forces
1: like those yes, in Manchester. Absolutely, and, and I think there's an important uh, underlying general point we can take from that, that though there are criticisms made, throughout the report, but also praise there when praise is due. It's it's a balanced report, but but although criticisms are made and focused upon Manchester, a lot of the issues that arise here are issues that could arise all over the country. And it's important when considering the, the findings of the Manchester Arena report, that we don't get into a situation where we think, well, that's Manchester, although it is Manchester, the resonance of what is said, in my opinion, floods through all. The emergency service provision for them to look at and consider and make sure that they understand what their responsibilities are particularly large metropolitan services
0: absolutely so it's not a case of saying well this is irrelevant if you live in birmingham or the west midlands or if you live in newcastle or sunderland or in bristol or nottingham these issues potentially affect everyone who lives in a large urban area in this
1: country Absolutely vital, it's absolutely vital and I know, I'm sure, that large metropolitan emergency services are already very much aware of this report and one, one hopes does something about it, but on top of that one really does hope that the government listen to what Sir John is saying. But who knows what we're facing in the future in the present political climate. And if there are cuts, whether they're called austerity or not, Sir John is making very clear in my opinion, that those cuts, whatever measures that are deemed necessary to be taken, special attention and special protection should be given to emergency services, particularly in large metropolitan areas. So, uh, John is really, in my opinion, very much laying down the gauntlet to the government, telling them to be very careful in cutting funding for our emergency services.
0: To finish, John, let's just reflect a little bit on John Atkinson, his family, and the other bereaved families as well. In John's case, it is clear that prompter action, which would have been delivered had there been better communication, might have saved his life. His family are understandably bitter and angry about that, and it's very easy to empathize with them.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Obviously, it's up now for those representing them in the future to decide what they're going to do about that. We've simply, uh, well, not simply, it's been a very complex area. I've I've been working on this matter now for five years. The public inquiry lasted two years, but now it's handed over to others to do what they will with the material that we've elicited from it. But yes, of course, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Just talk about the human perspective, you or me or any one of your listeners, what would we be thinking? Do we want to hear that our loved one couldn't have been saved? Do we want to hear that our loved one could have been saved but wasn't saved? You can imagine, just looking at it from our own perspectives, what goes through people's minds. and And when one looks back at this, I think it's also important to say as we come to an end of our discussion, and I want to make this clear, The one person responsible for doing this was Salman Abadi. He detonated the bomb. It is his cruel and vicious act which caused these deaths. And there are a lot of heroic people there. And the emergency services up and down the country do a tremendous job. It's just that things went wrong here and they cannot, cannot go wrong again. But we always need, in my view, to come back to the, the starting position, that that is, this is a bomb, That was detonated by a cruel and evil man full stop
0: john thank you very much indeed for your time that's john cooper kc i'm adrian goldberg you've been listening to the byline times podcast we are funded by subscriptions to our wonderful monthly newspaper the byline times no one tells us what to say no millionaire no billionaire no oligarch and that's why we can report without fear or favor so please consider taking out a subscription to the byline times you get more details over at bylinetimes.com thanks to harvey white for helping with the production of this episode we'll see you again soon bye now